This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Reynolds with Scott Eklund and Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Time for another podcast with a lot of stuff going on. Time to update you guys with a little bit about what's going on with the Pac-12 football schedule being released. Some Pac-12 football players possibly protesting and sitting out as well as some updates on possibly some uh, recruiting news coming up. We will cover all of that and more. Scott, you've been locked up since the lockdown at home with the kids, and now it's summer break. Are your kids ever going to go back to school and give you a break? Yeah, I yeah, I mean our our boys luckily um their care situation has has been taken care of so we're we're okay. Um I've been able to get a little bit more work done. My wife has been able to get a little bit more work done and and um you know, it's it is what it is. So we'll, we're just we're rolling with the punches as as much as we might be frustrated by some of the decisions made by the leadership in this uh state and as well as the country. Um you know, we're, we're, we gotta abide by the law, so we're, we're doing what we need to do. We'll get into recruiting a little bit later, but some interesting recruiting things coming up, not only with this year, but next year, and just how much recruiting has changed and what a strange year this has been. But, uh, Chris, let's just go ahead and dive into it. The schedule was released. So, uh, opening game on the 26th of September against Stanford at Husky Stadium. Do you see that game happening seriously, realistically? I don't. Um, I, I'm wondering how much of the of the season's going to get played. But again, you know, they did this, Kim, with the idea of having ultimate flexibility. I mean, down in L.A., you know, ironically enough, they're talking about the USC UCLA game being the first game of their seasons. But then they're also talking about the possibility of delaying it all the way until the end of, you know, uh, until the end of the season in December, which is kind of crazy because I know Washington season ends supposedly December 5th at USC, which is also obviously very strange because Washington should always end their season with the Apple Cup. But that game's going to be played the week before in Pullman. So yeah, I mean, it's just the, you know, 2020. It's just weird, and there's going to be anomalies, and there's just going to be strangeness all the way around. But I think if Jimmy Lake had the choice of starting the Pac-12 season at Oregon or at home against Stanford, I think he's going to take at home against Stanford. Yeah, and Scott, you know, people I've talked to, you know, a high-level official in the conference said, that uh, this schedule, as you see it, has no chance of hell of being played as it currently is. What are you hearing? Uh, well, I mean, basically the same as you did, Kim, and and um, I don't think there's anyone that is around this conference covering it, uh, involved in it, that thinks this schedule will be played as is. I think a lot of people believe that the USC-UCLA game, which is scheduled for the first game of the 
season down there in uh, L.A. and that, that they are not going to play. The California schools aren't even allowed to work out yet. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with with when those schools can start working out and doing different things. So it's going to be interesting to watch how, how this whole thing progresses. Washington uh, is going to have to prepare for that game like they're going to be playing it, but I don't see it being played. And I've, I've been dubious on, on um, there being a spring schedule, but I don't know if we can fit in a fall schedule. So we'll, we'll just, you know, I hate to constantly go back to that refrain, but we'll just have to wait and see. And Chris, I kind of equate it to people wondering what's going to happen, and it's the equivalent of asking Jimmy Lake in the first quarter, what plays are you going to run in the fourth quarter? It just depends on what the score is and what's going on. I think that just there's so many things and so many unknowns, and we just kind of have to travel down that path a little bit further, and the further down that path we go, the more we'll know. But I think we're still at least a couple weeks away from having any idea with certainty if practice is going to start because it seems like the key date is right around October 17th, right around that date. You mean August 17th? Yeah. August 17th. Excuse me. That's right. All I I would say is, is that I, I'm pretty hopeful that I think they're going to be able to get practice. I mean, I think they're going to be able to practice. I think they're going to be able to get their respective bubbles to the point where they can kind of do their own thing and stay insular and do all the things that they have to do continue to, to test regularly and all the things that they've already started to do anyways when the players started coming back at the end of June. Um, but, you know, one look at just some of the outside stuff, guys, when you look at Major League Baseball, for instance, and we saw the stuff with the Marlins and how they had to cancel games and how, you know, everyone thought, okay, that's just one team. So, that, so as long as we, you know, isolate that one team and get them away and then bring them back when they're ready. Everything will be cool. We'll take a schedule hit, but we'll be able to kind of roll with it. Well, now you're seeing St. Louis had the same issue. And with baseball, you're only talking about teams that have 30 players plus staff. How is this going to, how is this going to translate to football teams that are going to be traveling 70 plus players and staff the staff, you know, what's that going to be? Probably 85, 90 people. I just, the numbers kind of necessitate, um, taking extreme caution in thinking that this thing's going to happen because it just, you look at the baseball and those guys are professionals and they, you know, Major League Baseball, they have all sorts of money that they can spend to try to, you know, insulate these guys and create a situation. <laughs> look at basketball. Basketball is doing great right now because they are literally able to take every single player and staff and put them into one situation that, but that was never going to be possible with a, with a PAC 12 conference or SEC or, or any other college power five conference that you wanted to talk about. Limiting the action of uh, young testosterone filled athletes. Um, it's not like herding cats. It's probably Scott. It's probably like trying to herd mountain lions where in the NBA and with major league baseball, there's some incentives to stay close and stay in the bubble but uh i think college athletes it's a little bit different trying to keep them corralled yeah and and larry scott made that point when they were talking about the schedule and we don't expect our players to be in a bubble they're student athletes they're asked to do a lot of different things that pro athletes are not asked to do so um you know it it is it's going to be a, a key i mean look a lot of the uh uw players have have tweeted out that 
some of their friends are not taking things seriously. Now, we don't know if that means UW student athletes or if we're talking about kids from other schools that uh, they see out at, at beaches and parties and doing all these different things and or things they hear about from some of these kids. So um, I, I think Washington's been pretty dialed in. I mean, it seems like most of the Pac-12, at least from the student athlete standpoint, has been pretty good. What is it out of um, – Almost 300 athletes Washington has had, and I, I haven't seen the latest update, but eight athletes test positive, correct, Chris? Is that what it was? That's, that's correct, the last yeah. one. And then we'll get one, we'll get another update, Soon. a weekly update on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. So the latest news that we had was eight, I mean, eight athletes out of almost 300, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty solid effort on their part. They're doing what they need to do. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. There's just it, it, you're going to have to deal with it and figure out a way. And um, what's the doctor's name? Kim what? Harmon. Kim Harmon. Yeah, Kim Harmon. She's done a really good job implementing what they need to do. They've also been putting the workout uh, equipment up on the Husky Stadium ramps so that the guys have circulation and they aren't breathing real heavy in a room enclosed room together and everything like that. And I think that's going to be a huge key as well. That that has helped has allowed them to stay away from having some of these breakouts that some of these other teams have had. And I'm always a big believer in football's like you know it mirrors real life where I'm sure all of us have friends that are taking this thing over the edge cautiously or still in lockdown or paranoid to be with people and on the other extreme there's people out there who just think it's a farce and not doing a lot, don't care, and just, you know, not doing much. But I think most of the people are in the middle and just trying to be cautious. But, uh, you know, you take the young athletes who think they're invincible, I think you're going to find the same percentages on the football team. And it's not only 85 guys on scholarship. You've got another 15, 20 walk-ons and plus all the support staff. So you're talking about being around a couple hundred people and how many of those are going to be knuckleheads and uh, not be safe? I think that's the uh, that's what's going to happen. And, you know, what do you do for a locker room? There's just so many questions to be answered. And it's kind of like I say, you go down that rabbit hole and you enter it. And, boy, there's about 25 different options to go down, you know, that just we just don't know. And, I, you know, Chris, I think it's just going to take some time. And, you know, between the 14th and 17th of this month, I think, is going to be the key where everything's going to lead up to that because – when can football practice officially begin for UW? Is it six weeks? Is that what it is? I can't remember. It's 40, I think it's 40 days, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, they days. have like 24, I think they're going to have roughly around 40 days to complete 25 practices. So the Pac-12 built some flexibility in there depending on the respective states, you know, the counties that each of these schools are in, what their guidelines are going to be, what phases they're in, and so on and so forth to, to try to make sure that they're well within the guidelines to be able to do these practices. Cause right now you could do the little, you know, four and five person groups, but you can't do anything more than that. And that's, that's really the hard part is getting all these guys together at some point. You're right, Kim. I think, you know, obviously the 17th is the start of it, but there's probably a lot of programs in the PAC 12 right now that are already thinking a week beyond that is maybe the earliest they would think about doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, my feeling is, is that, again, you look at the situation in St. Louis, they had 13, 13 players and staff that tested positive, and all it took was them being around one person that tested positive. This this thing is super spreader. It, it does not take much for this thing to get around, and that that's another concern 
that obviously, you know, people like Kim Harmon and all the trainers and UW staff are taking super, super seriously. And to be fair to them, all the, all the, the, the responses and the stuff that I've seen on Twitter and Instagram and all that from all the players has been like, no matter how we feel about it personally, we know that everybody at Washington has done literally everything in their power to make sure that we're as healthy as we can possibly be. So if anything happens, it's not their fault. Well, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, with uh, college football, because the sports um, actually started with the UFC, and they were kind of the test case in a lot of ways to how to do things uh, if you're going to have live sports. And now we have NBA basketball, hockey, and um baseball where NFL can learn from those sports and NFL is about to start up here pretty quick and you know uh, college football will start after that so I think that they will learn not only from the other sports but with football starting here pretty quick with the NFL I think there's going to be a lot to be learned from that so um, Scott do you know when NFL camp start is it Friday Uh, I thought well, there's some that are already underway, I'm pretty sure. So, um, cause when I was on the NFL network, they were doing inside training camp. So, yeah. um, you know, I think some are going, but yeah, I think most of them are this weekend. Introducing the two way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, Chris, just, uh, we'll go ahead and talk about what happened on Monday. You know, we had a good idea this was going to happen, but a lot of players in the Pac-12 have, um, formed an alliance and got together and have, uh, put together a list of, I don't know, of requests or demands or what you want to call it, but, uh, some interesting time with some, um, things that the Pac-12 players want and, um, possibly threat threatening not playing just uh let's go ahead and hit that um just thoughts up front of the demands that uh, some of the players have put out yeah and a couple things is for for anyone that wants to know more about it if they follow twitter just look at the hashtag we are united because that seems to be the thing that that all of the players of the pac-12 have used as kind of the rallying cry for their for their demands or or uh, requests that they want to uh, put in front of the Pac-12. And I would also say John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury um, um, Mercury News is the guy to probably follow on a lot of this stuff, as he is with all the Pac-12 stuff. Um, he has a really good breakdown of the, you know, kind of the the players' demands, and then the where the Pac-12 is standing on these things, if not already kind of working towards, you know, kind of complying with some of these requests that the the players have laid out, but essentially with the, with the COVID-19 coming, I think the, the players just felt like, you know, we're being asked to go out there and play in a, a game where no one's really sure how protected they're going to be. You know, there's liability concerns, obviously, and they don't, they don't want the schools to be using liability waivers, for instance, you know, they want extra insurance, you know, in the PAC 12, to be fair, they're really good and they're kind of out in the forefront of the conferences on a lot of these things. I mean, they were already giving 
uh, four years worth of insurance post eligibility, for instance. So if, so if a player, for instance, has a existing condition based on what happened when they were playing at a school, they still have four years after they've graduated or used up their eligibility that they're covered. Well, the players now want that to go up to six years, which to be honest with you, I don't think that that's something that the Pac-12 is going to really um, fight hard against. I think that's something that they could probably uh, accommodate pretty easily. Um, but again, you know, there's other things that they've asked for in terms of because of the stuff with George Floyd and everything with the protests and everything that came out because of that, they want to have the Pac-12 help them fight racial injustice, not just in college sports, but also just in society. And the Pac-12, starting July 1st, they are on board with all this stuff. They've tried to create uh, inclusion positions within the conference, uh, head of diversity in the conference. They've created advisory groups. They've done a lot of these initiatives that the, that the Pac-12 players want. So I think they're pretty much in lockstep on that kind of stuff. Um, name, image, and likeness, we know that's coming down the road. The Pac-12 is in lockstep with that as well. We already know that California and Colorado have already passed laws in their own states regarding name, image, and likeness. So I think that's important. And to be honest, again, the, the conference is the only Power Five conference in America that has student-athletes within their conference as part of their leadership groups in Pac-12 uh, within the, the conference um, framework. So there's there's a lot of stuff that's already happened there. Where the sticking point is, and obviously we'll have more talk about this, is they want revenue share. And that's probably the, the huge part of it because the the glaring thing, the thing that really stuck out is that they wanted 50% of each sport's total conference revenues distributed evenly among all the athletes in the sports. Well, that's simply not possible economically, even in the best of times, that wouldn't be feasible. But in a situation where if you're not going to play football, then where's the money going to come from, for instance? So there's 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 common sense involved there. Now, there's also the 2% where they want conference revenue distributed back in partnership with the conference to support financial aid for like low-income black students and community initiatives, developmental programs for those things. I think that's something the Pac-12 could get behind for sure. But again, it's this revenue split that everyone's talking about, and I think that's the thing that's really going to hang it up. Chris, if you took a look at um, what the grievances are on the, you know, uh, the people that are banding together, and uh, you took a look at all of them, and you had to point to one. What's the most important thing? What's the one that they want more than anything? Because right now, I I think that if they could only choose one, and you play the game, if you could only choose one. The one I think that they would choose is the one that is the most re- unrealistic, and that's the revenues. Right. I think, and again, I try to put myself in their shoes. And if I was a situ- if I was in a situation where I was part of a of a you know a machine that was generating billions of dollars in revenue, would I want a piece of that pie? Well, the question is absolutely. Who wouldn't? Um, now, how do you make that happen? That's the real sticking point. Um, you know, because a lot of people will, and I think rightly so, they're going to say the the cost of the scholarship and everything that comes with it, with the the opportunities to travel, 
They get, um, you know, everything paid for in terms of food and board and everything else, books and what have you, general supplies, transportation, uh, everything else that comes with it. That's a very, very expensive scholarship. Well, that's true, and you can't deny that. But we do live in a different environment than we did 20, 30 years ago where that alone would, would handle the situation. There's simply too much money at stake. And Scott, you, you follow the NFL and when you take a look at uh, what they do, even the NBA, all the professional sports when they have salary caps and it's a percentage of the revenues, but how is that calculated? You know, I think that's the, one of the key questions, you know, what do they put in there? What do they take out of there and percentage of what? But when you're talking about distributing amongst the athletes, you know, the revenues, you're not talking just about the football player. You're talking about the, you know, the number four female tennis player having the same distribution as the starting quarterback on the team. And then in addition, Scott, I think Chris might know the answer to this. How many athletic programs were 100% self-sufficient on the revenues that are generated? How many are getting subsidized by the school and upper campus? Because absolutely, there's you know, they're bringing in a lot of revenues, but the expenses are really high. The last number I heard from a high-level official was that the cost of a scholarship on a budget, on a line item of budget for a football player is over $200,000 a year. Times four, that's 800000 And if you red shirt, that's over a million dollars that you're getting. Because it's not only the cost of the scholarship, which is estimated at out-of-state tuition is about $50,000 a year. But you're talking books. And, um, you know, those who've had kids go to college, it's not the tuition that kills you. It's all the other stuff. It's the um, the lodging, the food, the medical insurance, and all of that other stuff that's paid for. There's a lot that goes into it, and I'm not sure a lot of the players understand that uh, how expensive how expensive the expenses are. And when you take a look at Larry Scott's salary and what they're doing down in the Pac-12 office, I think those can definitely be cut. But boy, Scott, how I, how are they going to do this? I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> I don't think so I, either. I, I think I think if the players, if, if and I agree with uh, Chris and and you, Kim, that. If they were to prioritize, they're put a, to, uh, to put a one, you know, one is the top thing and ten is the bottom thing that they're looking for in their list of demands. Number one is going to be the revenue sharing, and that's just it's not going to happen. And and if the administrators were ever going to call the players on their bluff, and I don't think the players are well, I think the players are overreaching a little bit, but I don't think they're bluffing. But if the administrators were ever going to call their bluff, this is the year to do it because they're already getting their butt kicked anyway. Right. And these players need to read the room a little bit and understand that (laughs) these schools are losing a ton of money. There's no way they're going to give you a 50 percent revenue split. And now one thing I want to um, understand, and maybe I read it wrong, but when I read what their demands were, they wanted the revenue sharing for each individual sport to pay those players. That's right. No, so they so it, it isn't like because Kim you were saying the fourth tennis player is going to get paid the same as the quarterback is at least in the player's view that shouldn't be the case now the way that the law says in Title Nine and all these other things that they aren't considering at all there's you guys are right that they need to pay the the 
you know, the swim team or, well, I guess there's no swim team at UW anymore. Any but scholarship have, athlete. Yeah, any, any scholarship, scholarship athlete. athlete is going to get paid the same as a high-profile scholarship athlete. And the players aren't taking that into consideration. So, um, you know, because they're saying, well, if we make a bunch of money for the school playing football, then the football revenues should pay for us. No, that isn't how it works. It Football revenues has to pay for everybody. And that's just not going to be the case. So I, I'm one of the reasons I'm dubious on there even being a season um, at all at least in the fall is because if they can't resolve these issues and these players really are going to demand this, I I have a feeling they'll probably fall off of it. But um, because somebody's going to make them realize, Hey, you guys can't ask for this. It's impossible. There's no way you're basically going to say, we're never going to have college sports again because colleges are not going to put up with this crap because people like the, the presidents, who are like we're we're who are saying we're an academic institution that happens to have sports. That's what they think of it as, and uh, they're just going to say screw it. We're not going to pay these, and right rightfully or wrongfully, they're going to call them spoiled athletes. And t- you know, I was texting with uh, you and Chris yesterday, and I said to the normal to normal society, these athletes, even the, and look, I don't diminish the sacrifices they've made to, to do these things. They put a lot of, uh, it's hard on their bodies. They, they have to, their time management has to be unbelievable. They have to do all these different things and they could suffer some serious, uh, physical injuries that could incapacitate them for the rest of their lives. We all know that, but to normal society, these athletes are getting into a school that 90% of them wouldn't be able to qualify for, at least on the football team, wouldn't be able to qualify for if, as a regular student. <clears throat> they're getting, they're getting, like you said, Kim, up to $200,000 in, I, I call them perks. Maybe it's not perks because obviously medical insurance is a benefits. perk, you know, a benefits, benefits. Be- benefits, but you know, they get free tutors. They get free food. They don't have to worry about how food is put on the table for them. Every day, and they get it as much as they want. They can go at two in the morning and go grab some yogurt or or go grab something to eat out of their their uh, the different stuff that they have set up for them. So, a lot of students don't have that. A lot of students have to go work forty hours a week just to put you know food on the table and and have room and board. And these athletes are having to do a lot of that stuff too. But it's it's different. It's not the same. And so a lot of normal society, normal people are looking at this and going, are you kidding? Are you and, really kidding me? And by the way, it's all tax-free. Yeah. They don't get taxed <laughs> on this stuff. And, no. and Yeah, and when they do the revenue share, how many of these kids are going to be in debt to the IRS? Because they don't know how to file taxes. I didn't know how to file taxes when I was 18 years old. And I don't have any problem with it being tax-free, but I think one of the things that really needs to be spelled out and, you know, a lot of employers are paying benefits. It's just like, you know, Chris and I, I mean, we all pay our own medical insurance. We write a hefty check every month for our medical insurance. I do too, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people who have employers that pay it don't have a real idea of how expensive it is. And I'm not sure that the student athletes have a full understanding of the value of what they're receiving by being on scholarship. And like I said, I'm all for the medical stuff. I'm all for, the, I, I mean, you know what the simple answer to this is, but it'll never happen. Remove football from the title nine equation. I mean, and that, that was all a lot. That, of, I fully agree with you, Kim on that. that should but that's never going to happen. No, it won't. It's never going to happen. Nope. 
I, I mean, you know, you take a look at, you know, I heard a number of a million and a half dollars was how much the uh, women's tennis team lost. I mean, that's how much it was subsidized. And then you take a look at the softball team, the rowing, gymnastics, volleyball, and basket, you know, women's basketball. All of those sports create very little revenues, if any. Even women's basketball loses a ton of money, you know, and they get more people in there than anything. But um, all of the Olympic sports, the only two sports that are cash positive, the only two, are men's basketball and football. Every other sport is subsidized. Every other sport. Um, I'm not even sure if a lot of the football players are aware of that, that uh, how much is subsidized. Open the budget. I mean, that would be one thing that I think Chris Peterson would be really, really good at is, you know, because he brought in outside speakers to talk about that. But, uh, boy, bringing somebody in with the football players and showing them the budget and where all the money went, I think would be an eye opener to a lot of these kids. So um, how do you think Chris Peterson would handle this, by the way, Chris? Well, I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that feel like Chris Peterson left football because of money. And I think that's fair to a certain extent. But I think there's a lot of context that needs to be involved with that because Chris Peterson, in my personal opinion, having covered him for a long time, he just wanted a level playing field. I, I think he doesn't mind players getting paid a little bit of money because he, he of all people, understands the sacrifices and the amount of time that goes into what they have to do every day. And um, so I don't think that's the problem. But I do think he... You know, when this thing all of a sudden jumps into full free agency and transfer portal run amok and all that kind of stuff and, and kind of all of the ancillary things that come with money, uh, I think he was certainly against a lot of that type of stuff. But, you well, know, when you talk, but Kim, you talked about him bringing in a lot of outside people and I think you, you're right on the money on that. Why not bring in someone from the outside who deals with pro contracts and deals with first year guys and rookies in the NFL and NBA? and how they have to deal with their financial situations. Because the one reality is, regardless of revenue split, regardless of how ridiculous their demands may be seen on the outside to the average person, as Scott recognized, the bottom line is name, image, and likeness is coming around the corner, whether we like it or not. There are states that have already put that in place. By 2023, that's going to be a feature of Pac-12 football and football across the country. It's not a bug. It's going to be a reality. So you might as well get used to the fact that these kids are going to have to understand that things get taxed, that they're going to have to, you know, file a 1040, that, you know, maybe all of a sudden, you know, and someone brought it up on the, on the dogman boards and it made, it made sense to me. You know, sometimes these guys are going to have to be considered independent contractors like me, for instance, and they're going to be filing 1099s instead of W-2s. So there's so many things coming down the road that I think it behooves all athletic departments, not just the Pac-12. They need to get their houses in order and they need to get these guys up to speed on the business side of this kind of stuff. Well, I think it's and essential. I think, this is, I, I think this is a huge teaching moment of Absolutely. how uh, to understand how business works, you yeah. know, with just, you know, how a balance sheet works, you know, uh, the cost of goods. It's a great learning moment uh, about all this. And I think it would be fantastic if all the budgets were made out in the open so that they could have a clear understanding of what's going on out there. And that's one of the things Chris Peterson did real well. We all heard the story about, you know, with the upcoming election and they were going to talk about it. And he asked how many people voted, right? 
And he said, okay, the ones that voted over here, the ones who didn't, they had to leave. Yeah. You know, and that was a real teaching moment for a lot of those kids. And I think this is a great opportunity to teach these kids what's what. And just one more thing on the name, image, and likeness uh, issue. You know, one of the things that I've heard bandied about is, sure, if you want to um, sign contracts for revenues uh, for name, image, and likeness, that's fine. But if you're going to do so, you won't be on scholarship. You'll have to pay for those things. So that's kind of an interesting thought, too. You know, so if you're going to do that, that's fine. But you're not allowed to be on scholarship if you do that. So we'll see no, if I, that is attractive. I, I think that's absolutely right. I think that's something they're going to have to look at. And I think that when the when the when the players for this movement, the We Are United movement, sit down with Larry Scott, sit down with the Pac-12 management, which they're apparently doing hopefully this week. Um, you know, I think again on the theme that you were discussing, Kim, in terms of making this a teaching moment. Yeah. This is an opportunity for Larry Scott to lay out those books to show everybody what is what. Because that guy's getting paid an absolute ton of money to make sure that this thing is run the best way it can be run. And it would behoove him to turn this into a win-win for everybody. Not Hold just trans- for him, not just for the players, but also for the fans and also for the schools. Because if everything is out in the open, then they can get right down to it and they can show these players exactly why their 50% revenue split demand, for instance, Full transparency is guided or, or isn't rooted in common sense or it's just magical thinking or however they want to describe it. They can show these guys flat out and then the media can go out and report these things so that everybody gets a fair accounting of what happened. Well, the lack of information always brings out the worst in people, but once it's laid out, I think you start thinking about it and you can make better informed decisions. And, you know, I think that's going to be necessary to corral this. But Scott, I mean, I'm waiting for your list of demands to continue to work at dogman.com. What's on the list? Are you going to prep me a little bit? <laughs> uh, no, top, I'm good. Top three. Top I'm three. I know, it's on, I know it's number one on his list and it's been that way for about 10 years now. What's that? What? It's what everybody's is. Money. Oh, well, yeah. I thought it was going to be fewer phone calls from me. No. That's the irony of all this. Everybody's demand starts with money because money is the thing that drives everything else. With more money, everything else becomes available, right? I mean, that's why... That's why they, I think that's why they, they did their overreach. And, and, and hopefully some of these players will come out and talk about why they use 50% as the number because maybe they maybe they felt they needed to overreach to get the conversation started and to get people really talking about it in a meaningful way. I don't know. I I hope that's the case. Scott, you got your check right. Yes, I did. Including yes, I the did. stimulus. Including yes. The stimulus. <laughs> yes, that was great. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was nice <laughs> to get it. <laughs> um. Okay. Picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's uh, dive into recruiting a little bit. Um 
it's been a little bit slow. Last uh, was it one week or two weeks ago with uh, Jeremy Bernard uh, committing last the wide, week. Last week, yeah, wide receiver out of Las Vegas. Uh, what do you want me to touch bases on first, Scott? Um, well, let, let's talk about the one that everybody's got a question on right now because he's making a decision either this week or next week. Brock Bowers, the um, tight end out of Napa, looks like he's narrowed it down to Georgia and Washington. First of all. Um, I don't know if you can give us a scouting report on him, Scott, or just tell everybody how good he really is and what type of player he would be if he decided at Washington. Think of a bigger and faster version of Hunter Bryant. That's basically what Brock Bowers is for his school. Uh, he's about 6'4", 223 pounds, so he's about, what, two inches taller than than uh, Hunter Bryant and probably about the same size as Hunter Bryant. Um, but can run really well, runs like a wide receiver when you watch him out there on the, on the field, uh, hasn't been used a ton as a blocker, but can block. He's, he's an, he's a, an above average blocker. I'd say not elite, but I think you could get there with him if you, if you teach him technique, but that isn't going to be where his bread is buttered. His bread is buttered by catching the ball and making plays with his legs and being a mismatch anytime he steps out on the field. Um, I think he could play at 240 pretty easily, 6'4", 240, just get down the field, make plays with his hands, very strong hands. He could be a star. I don't want to say a starter, but he could be a heavy contributor in Washington's passing game the moment he sets foot on field. And, Scott, he took his trip down to uh, Georgia, unofficial visit, where the family just went down there to check things out. He was up in Seattle a few weeks ago. He was able to connect with Sam Heward in more ways than one, not only socially, but uh, to be able to catch some balls. But uh, what's word you're hearing on decision time and uh, where he may be leaning? Well, if you let, if you read my blog on Monday, <laughs> you know that um, I've heard three different things. He's going to Georgia, it's 50-50, and he's going to Washington. <laughs> so I, I've, I've, I've got about six different sources that have been talking to me about different guys, and I've it's been all over the map. I don't think this guy uh, has showed his hand to anybody truly. Um, I, I think that um, at one point it was 50-50. I think Washington had – done everything they could to get back in the mix. A lot of people were telling the Huskies, you know, stay away from this kid. He's going to Georgia. No reason to waste time with him. And uh, Durham Cato did a heck of a job getting getting back in with this guy. I think Durham Cato is going to wind up being one of the best recruiters on this staff when it's all said and done, not just this year. Obviously, this is his first year, first recruiting cycle as a actual assistant coach. But I think it, over the next three, four, five years, he's going to prove to be one of the money recruiters for the University of Washington here um and uh but you know I I would say right now if I had to put in a crystal ball somebody said I had to put in a crystal ball I'd put it in for Georgia and the reason is that they were so far ahead of everybody else and Washington had to work so hard it's almost like the basketball where everybody has a run right and you're down 15 and you make a run and you get within two or three two or three points, and you think, all right, just another quick run, and we'll be able to get ahead of these guys, and you've run out of steam, right? And you, you just – the other team goes back on a run and, and ends up winning the game by eight points. I just – I think you, uh, Georgia had such a big lead. Washington had to work so hard to get back in it, and I think in the long run, it's probably going to end up being Georgia, but Washington did everything they could to get this kid. And, Scott, the two are connected, but you take a look at um, uh, Bowers and then – 
Jack Yeri, who mm-hmm. from all sounds of it, he's locked solid to Washington. And we could talk about that a little bit, but, uh, you know, and what that means impacts the numbers and how it impacts Bowers. But Chris, you had a chance to meet Jack Yeri over in, uh, in Hawaii at the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, tell us what you remember, impressions, and just your thoughts in general about Jack Yeri, because it sure seems like he's coming to Washington. Yeah, it, it was interesting because he was in a situation where he kind of got there a little late and then he ended up having to go back before the game was even played. So I think he, you know, he was there for a little bit for a few days, but he, I don't know if he was even going to play anyways because he was a little dinged up. So it was just kind of an unusual situation where he came in kind of maybe even knowing that he wasn't going to play and then maybe also knowing in the back of his head that there was a chance he might have to leave early as well. So again, just just kind of an unusual situation with him. Never really got a chance to sit down and talk to him. I, I mean, I kind of watched him interact with some guys and and do some things, but never really got a chance to see him perform or practice or or do anything like that. You know, was able to kind of you know ex- kind of exchange some pleasantries and stuff like that, and just let him know that I was covering Washington and and those types of things because obviously back then he was you know he hadn't made his full decision, but. Clearly, it looked like USC was going to be the, the 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 odds-on favorite at that point. So I never really got a great feel for him one way or another. But I thought I just got a sense that the whole situation was just a bit unusual and a bit off. It just seems like you know, in either one of you. It just seems like a lot of things have been off with that recruitment, you know, with what went on at the Polynesian Bowl, him um, not enrolling at USC. Uh, he put out a Twitter that his dad was fighting for his life with COVID and comes out that that wasn't exactly true. The tweet was deleted, um, kind of taking a shot at the, you know, um, the USC insider and Scott Wolf about, you know, the people at Washington taking better care of him and 10 times better sports guys up here than in L.A., but something just seems like you said, Chris, something seems off. It, it, it does seem off, but again, it's like the cliche, right? You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And so my first impression of, of Jack Yeri wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent positive, but then again, there were mitigating circumstances. He was banged up. He had to go back to either take a test or deal with some academics. So there, you know, I, I can see why his head wasn't necessarily in a great space at that point, so I'm certainly not going to judge him based on my first impressions of him. But again, when when you look at this series of events and then this latest one with his father, it just doesn't. It just seems weird to me. And I don't. Again, I don't want to knock the kid because I'm sure he's a great kid, and and I I'm sure there's nothing wrong with the situation ultimately. And if he comes to Washington, has a great career, we can all go back and we can have a nice laugh over this podcast and say, God, you know what? What were we? What were we thinking? But you know, right now, as it stands, it just seems a bit weird to me. And, and I hope it works out for him. That's all I can say, I guess. What do I always tell you when things don't make sense, Chris? Well, there's there's obviously something else to it. It's just hard to figure out exactly what, what else there is. Yeah. And, Scott, it looks like Jack Yeri is coming. You know, talk to us a little bit about numbers for this year. Talk a little bit about how it impacts recruiting for next year. And, um, you know, does this have any impact on uh, Brock Bowers? I don't think it has an impact on Brock Bowers because I think they'd take Brock Bowers no matter what. Um, but if they don't get Brock Bowers, I think they're done at tight end in this class. If they don't get him, I think they'll just stand pat with Caden Jumper, who's kind of that hybrid fullback, H-back, tight end 
guy and then and then Quentin Moore, the tight end out of Independence, who we can talk about here in a second, Chris. I found out he's gonna redshirt this year. So he's gonna be three years to play three. Hey uh, Scott, when he real, shows up. Real, hey Scott, real quick, the difference in they're not the same player. Jack Gary and uh, Brock Bowers are not the same guy. No, no. Jack Geary is more of a blocker, and a lot of people think that he's going to eventually grow into a left tackle. Um, <laughs> one person said to me when I texted, hey, are you hearing anything on Jack Geary? And this person said, hey, I uh, heard he's leaving USC, and he's going to Washington to be a left tackle with a ha-ha after it. <laughs> um, and it's because everybody thinks that everybody – that he should have been convinced to be a left tackle once he got to college. So – uh, we'll have to wait and see where his development is. Scott Huff will tell you one of the hardest things to find, especially out here on the West Coast, is left tackle or is tackle bodies. Guys with that are six six can move, have great feet, can have good lateral lateral agility, and all those different things. And uh, if Jack Geary has that, I think that's one of the reasons why people think he should become a left tackle but as far as Washington's concerned Yeri is going to be a tight end in their system maybe he grows into a left tackle eventually what the last guy to do that was was that Joe Toledo saying Joe Toledo was a tight end moved to left yeah. tackle and and uh Chris well, you you always said Austin Safarian Jenkins would be an all-world left tackle well we so were saying, Joe, we were saying that when he was in ninth grade so, so yeah. is, he Joe, is he Joe Toledo or is he Austin Safarian Jenkins well, I think a lot of people look at Jack Yeri and they think left tackle because of his father. I mean, it, there's a natural connection there, right? I mean, it's when you have a, a guy who's a Hall of Famer at, at uh, on an offensive line, and then you see his son come through, and his son's six six and two hundred and fifty some pounds. I think it's reasonable to assume that the genes take over, and he could grow into a left tackle if they needed to be, but. If if the kid is bound and determined to be a, a tight end and he thinks that's his best position, roll with it. I mean, if that's what he thinks, because to me, him and Quentin Moore are very similar in size, and so that's you get you get a nice little bookend package there. Whereas what Scott alluded to earlier, and I agree 100%, Brock Bowers is certainly more like a Hunter Bryant in terms of a guy who can stretch the defense, find zones, uh, create mismatches, that type of thing. Scott, what are the numbers at right now? Uh, if we're talking about the uh, 2021 class, we're at 14 uh, commits and may only take <laughs> – right now, it's hard to even see them taking four more, or six more to get to 20. I mean, I, I've had 20 as the number, but with the number – with the lack of guys moving on and, and transfers and all those different things, man, it's going to be tough to even get to 20. I I think they might – be close to done at 14. You know, you could be talking about obviously Emeka Egbuka, who we're going to talk about, and JT uh, Tui Malau, two guys we'll talk about here in a second. But um, those guys are takes no matter what. I think Brock Bowers is a take as well, no matter what. But is there anyone else? I don't think they're going to be able to have room for Jacob Schuster, the local guy, uh, four-star defensive tackle prospect. I don't know if they're going to have – we've already said that they're probably not going to take another uh, linebacker prospect. They're done at wide receiver other than a Mecca Egbuka and outside shot at Troy Franklin. Um, they're done at, at running back. They're done at quarterback. They're done at – I mean, it's – Defensive yeah, back? They're, they're defensive back, they've got two. But, I mean, their defensive back field is pretty loaded with – I don't want to say it's loaded with talent and that they can't get anyone else. I just think it's loaded with talent and versatile guys. Because Zakari Spears is a guy 
who could widen up playing safety or corner. And um, D- uh, Dyson McCutcheon is a guy who they think uh, could be a great nickel, but do they need another outside defensive back? I mean, it's it's hard to say. You know, the, if the coaches don't think they need it, then they don't need it. So I, I don't know. Vincent Nunley is a guy who a lot of people think is going to commit to the University of Washington. The crystal balls have been going that way. But it, are they going to have room? I just don't know. I just don't yeah, know. Just, I mean, if you're talking about only taking four more and there's three take no matter what and possibly one more take no matter what. Yeah. I, I mean, you've got to work out the numbers. And for mm-hmm. those who want to say, well, you always make the numbers work before you say that, put out how that's going to happen. You know, it's yeah. easy to, and, it's easy to it's, say those things, but show us easy, how that works. It's easy for people who don't have to go and recruit people who to just say, well, you, you, you have conversations with these kids and tell you know, get rid of this kid, get rid of that kid. Um, not as easy as you think it is, man. It just isn't. And it's, it's a lot harder than you think it is. And then you got to go face people who might be friends with the parents of this kid. Right. And, or the kid might have friends on the team that you want really bad. And if you sour the, sour the well or pollute the well, whatever you want to call it. And, and now it's even harder to get him. <laughs> it's just, it's Sophie's choice, man. It is tough. And wait till next year. I mean, because the yeah. numbers are going to be small again next year and they've yeah, already got one, one wide receiver commit. They may be done and leaving Tobias Merriweather. I mean, they may have to just yeah. pass on him because they don't have room or CJ Williams or Darius Clemens. Those are all. Four wide receiver, all three wide receivers that like Washington quite a bit, but you know, it, I mean, the thing is, okay, so Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there were 13 guys who were going to burn their eligibility up or use their eligibility up in this, uh, after this season, whatever it was. You're talking about in terms of seniors? Yeah, for the, for 2021 guys. I think it's around, yeah, it's around 12, 13. It's something like that off the top of my head. Well, so. So if you look at 2022, there's only 10 guys who are going to – if you go just strictly by who's going to graduate when, there's only 10 guys assured of being gone by then. The thing is three of those guys, Kate Otten, Jackson Kirkland, and I'm try- oh Joe Tryon, those three could leave after this year if there is a season. And so you're talking you could have seven spots. Now, there is going to be attrition. We already know of one guy who's going to medically end up medically retiring, and uh, that'll be announced here pretty soon, probably by the start of camp. Because he and won't by the way, it's not a starter. Yeah, it's not someone that – I mean, it's a guy that everybody knows, but it's not going to be somebody who, who would have impacted the season very much this year. But um, the the thing is, you're, you're – there's going to be attrition, but are they even going to get, be able to get up to 14? Because if you lose, if you lose those three, that only leaves seven guys that you know aren't going to be here as a part of that class. And so that's seven spots and then throw in, you'd have to have seven guys leave the program for various different reasons in order to get to 14. Has Washington ever lost seven guys? Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. I mean, there you'd have to go back and look, but for sure, a yeah. long time well, ago, not well, not within the last ten years. And one more time for the guys who say you you make it happen, go ahead and pencil it out. Show us how you do it. So, 
Um, Ace, I know we're making this podcast longer than we typically do, but uh, let's jump into JT and Emeka. That's who everybody wants to know. JT Tuomalau, the defensive lineman out of Eastside Catholic. Uh, Emeka Agbuka, the wide receiver out of Stillicum. Anything new on that? Anything change on that, Scott? Nothing. No, nothing new. Uh, it's still Oklahoma, Ohio State, Washington uh, for Emeka and it's still Oklahoma, Ohio State, Washington, Oregon for JT. That's and things really haven't changed from a jockeying standpoint. We always say things always change in recruiting, but sometimes they stay the same. And uh, as soon as there's anything different, we'll put it out there. But you know, with those two guys saying who's in the lead, I, I think that you know that I just think that they're considering those schools and they're all about equal, and there's not much to pick and choose amongst them. I would ah. say also real quick. I would say also real quick. There is. Whether or not this is super new news, but at least with JT to him allow, there was a thought that he was going to go down south, either Oklahoma or Texas, to go play uh, his last year if there was going to be no football in Washington, which it doesn't sound like. I don't know what the odds are. It doesn't sound great, but uh, that got dispelled pretty quickly. So if if people don't know that, um, JT by, to by him directly staying in in the area, he's not going somewhere else to go play football. He kind of laughed at that. Yeah, I'm just not <laughs> sure if people were aware of that. Yeah. Uh, anything else going on, Scott, with recruiting we need to know about? No. Uh, I mean, you and I talked about it in the recruiting podcast on Friday morning, but basically right now there's still a plan in place for there to be a mid-year signing period in December, but I've heard a lot of rumblings that they could just push that off and with the hopes that they can fit in some official visits, unofficial visits for kids in January and have them sign in February. So just keep an eye out on that. But right now, as of today, there is a mid-year signing period for mid-December like they usually have. But uh And, man, that'll be pretty busy for us because if there is a season this fall, um, they're talking about – uh, the championship game being played in, you know, mid-December, right around the mid-December signing period. So and, that could be a pretty crazy week. And also something we haven't even really touched on because that's all up in the air, but uh, we still got basketball to deal with as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So uh final thoughts, Scott, anything uh, else you want to touch bases on? Yeah, just, man, it just seems like, Everything's in, in, you know, there's upheaval and, and, and distress in every area of our life right now. Sports was always the constant that people could rely on. And right now we don't even have that. So, um, I think things are on the trend to get better. I, I, I see some of the, uh, COVID number, the infection numbers are starting to level off a little bit. Hospitalizations are leveling off a little bit and things like that. Obviously still a long way to go. Um, you know, and, and just, we're here at Dogman. We're going to cover this team as much as we can and give you guys as much new content as possible over the time. And, and, uh, things are going to get better. I, I don't think they're going to get, um, I don't think things are getting worse. I think they're going to start getting better. Anything else we need to touch bases on, Chris, or anything you want to add in final thoughts? Um, well, yeah, just a couple things. First of all, we didn't talk about Jeremy Bernard. Um, so Washington obviously got his commitment, 2022 receiver. We just touched on it very, very quickly. But, you know, he's a kid who, boy, I mean, if you look on his film, to, he, to me he reminds me a lot of Cason Williams, just an absolute brute, 6'3", almost 200 pounds, 
Um, very, very physical at the point of attack. Um, great hands, not going to run away from a lot of people, but just super, super consistent, really strong is going to be in a, fa- a big factor in the blocking game as well. So, uh, big time pickup, honestly. Um, you know, four star kid. Um, I think his composite was pretty close to 0.94 or 9.3 and a half, somewhere around there. So a great way for not just Junior Adams to get the 2022 ball rolling, but Washington in general, because I know there are a lot of fans out there that have been not quite enamored with the 2021 class yet, but I think part of that's just because there are so many big fish still out there uh, that have yet to make their decisions. Um, the other thing that I would say too as well, um, and I know you would normally touch on, touch on this as well, but uh, 24-7's running a big promo for the entire month of August where it's 50% off, uh, for the entire month. Like any time that you want to sign up with dogman.com, you can do it during the month of August and get 50% off a yearly subscription. Or you can just do it for one month for a dollar. So that's, that's a great way to get started. We hope that there's football. There's still recruiting going on. There's a lot of things going on with the We Are United movement that we're going to be covering. There's just a ton of reasons why I think getting on board right now is a great idea if you haven't thought about it before. So, again, all throughout August, you can sign up for a yearly subscription to Dogman, and you get 50% off the price, or you can do it for the first month to see how things go, and it only costs you a buck. So it's a great deal. Don't just rely on the content. Take a look at the message boards. That's where the really good stuff is. So, um it's been, uh, this is the time of year where we're usually starting football practice, so it's kind of like our body clocks are being readjusted. So, uh, for those out of town, weather in Seattle has been fantastic. Uh, I was on the IR with my back a little bit, so I couldn't do anything for a couple weeks when it comes to physical, but, uh, trying to play as much golf as I can the next week, week and a half. And for those out of town or those locally, I had a chance to play Chambers Bay yesterday and, uh, Course is in fantastic shape. They've changed all the greens. All the greens have been uh, redone, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a hike. Be prepared. Hydrate like crazy, but it's a lot of fun. So, And just a reminder, we really appreciate all you guys that have stuck with us. It's unbelievable when we look at how many people have been with us since the beginning, 20 years plus. We have people that have been with us for such a long, long, long time. We do appreciate you, and uh, we do our best. So it's been a little bit challenging, but uh, we'll just keep on plugging along. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the sky. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.